Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. This was the week that the UK voted to leave the EU. No, really. It was also the week we heard about something called crazy monkey defence. We learned all about the beauty and skill of dressage and were encouraged to get interested in the stock market. But we started the week with a visit from Rianne Jones, who founded and runs the Big Manx Community. That's when she's not saving lives as a junior doctor at Nobles Hospital. So I am a junior doctor. I'm a foundation year two trainee, which means that I'm about 18 months since qualifying at the moment. Um, I currently work in A&E. Um, so my, I have a varied shift pattern. So I'll be seeing patients in A&E either through minor injuries, major injuries, um, also involved in trauma calls. Um, and uh, yeah, the shift varies really. I was working nights this weekend um, and then a few days off now before going back to days. So. And you've had how much sleep before coming on the show today? I have about three hours. Oh my yeah. word, she <laughs> looks so me. bright and glamorous. She's in the oh. dress and everything. It's amazing, listeners. Oh. And uh, you must have had a busy weekend because it was the parish walk, of course. Did you have many people coming in? Um, it was quite busy for us, yeah. I mean, there's um, not as many as, as I anticipated, actually, but it was it was quite busy. So have you now chosen your sort of specialist field then? Yes, I have. So um, I want to go into anaesthetics. So I need to um, do some more training for that. It's about another seven years of training. Um, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so in order to be a consultant anaesthetist. Um, but I'm going to have a little bit of time between taking on that next challenge, really, to just carry on in- enjoying what I'm doing at the moment. And then I'll go on to do that. Hopefully. Why anaesthetics? Because I would have thought you said, obviously, you're in a at the minute. And that mm-hmm. must present so much variety to your job. But anaesthetics, is it not? quite sort of samey I mean it can be the thing about anaesthetics is that this that you, you there's so many different things you can do in it um so yeah you can be putting people to sleep every day for operations for example but then also it's also the anaesthetists that run ITU um and um we have fantastic anaesthetists here on the island which really inspired me um and they have quite a, va- a varied job really they can be being part of the air ambulance um they can be um taking patients to theatre but also looking after them on intensive care so there is such a variety there and they've really been the people that have inspired me to do that and speaking of the air ambulance, what was TT, TT like for you this year? Yes, it was very busy. Um, I mean, uh, I was predominantly working in A&E during that time. I did um, fly a bit, but mostly I was working in, in A&E. So you did actually go out in the air ambulance, did you? Yeah, we do. Um, so there's a group of us. You, I wasn't on call, but they sometimes call around to say, can you go? So there was an event where I went. But um, most of the time they have um, on-call people. So every day is covered by different people. And at, at the moment in A&E, it's quite difficult for me to fit everything in. But it's something that I'll be doing for the next year here. Yeah, so. It's interesting, though, because I, I, I don't know what... I've been intrigued to know what the atmosphere is like up at the hospital over TT. Because I suppose, you know, it just has to be all hands on deck. But do you mm-hmm. ever get, you know, feelings of frustration at the fact that obviously there's a lot of quite sometimes very serious but often avoidable accidents you know during TT week that is obviously adding to the workload and obviously the stress of all that do you ever get frustrated during TT? Um, no, I mean, I think there's such a fantastic level of support. So we have doctors that come over as well um, to help us during the time. And there's also a, the manpower is, is better than other days. Um, so we have really good senior support. Um, so my consultant in the A&E will be there. Um, they'll be there attending any major calls. Um, so there's lots of support. So for me, especially as a junior, it's good to have that level of support, but also to get the experience um, and to be encouraged to be involved and to and to learn, really. Um, and that's, that's the main thing. Just remind us uh, what the Big Banks community is. 
Okay, so this is a charity which I set up with my mum, actually, um, and we decided to put it together because we wanted to have a way of being able to raise money in the community, but not having a specific cause to give it to. So the Big Manx community, uh, where big stands for believing in good, is really um, a, a collection of people that raise money um, at different events and then decide where they would like that money to be given to. So, for example, last year, we some of the people we gave money to included Tabitha's Trust and... Um, British Heart Foundation. This year we're doing the show um, for the Alzheimer's Society, IOM, and the Manx Kidney Patient Association. So it's really an idea that will enable us to fundraise but grow with the community, so to speak, so as the needs of the island change and develop, we can try and accommodate that. That's the ideas really behind it. Fantastic. And, and you've had some support from quite a big local organisation recently, haven't you? We have. Um, for the last three years, actually, um, the comedy show has been supported by Poker Stars, um, which I'm really, really pleased that they've been able to be a part of that um, and that they've been a really solid support for us and um, been able to do the show. So it means that any of our expenses um, are covered by Poker Stars for the show and then anything that we are able to raise for the show itself goes directly to charity. So last year we raised over £7,000 for charity wow. just from that from one night um, and we wouldn't be able to do that without Pokestar so really I'm very grateful for that. So tell us about this year's show then. Okay so it's on the 2nd of July at the Gaiety Theatre um, and it's a show, um, it's a comedy show so it's um, sketches and songs um, that have been written um, by myself or um by Dr. Matt Todd, who's one of the renal consultants, and also the sketches that have been contributed by Mr. Ian Wright, who's one of the orthopaedic consultants at the hospital as well. Um, so it's a good it's a good balance there between a junior doctor's view, a consult a medical consultant's view, a surgical view, um, and it's all coming together really to just um, play on things that happen um, in in through songs and sketches, um, things we've seen, um, things that have funny moments, for example, um, all to go on stage and hopefully for both people from the hospital, but also the public to enjoy and who's actually taking part in it who's performing okay so um we have such a variety in the car so it's every everyone works in the hospital um and we have um doctors nurses pharmacists administration we have um healthcare assistants it's really we every day we we rely on teamwork in the hospital and it's something that um is really supportive we have training that together you know simulation scenarios where we work on on take tackling difficult scenarios in a team so for in order for us to all work together in this kind of environment have a bit of fun is is really nice but how do you have time because you guys must be the busiest people on the isle of man up at the hospital how have you got time to write and rehearse I think in all honesty, probably we don't have time <laughs> and then we kind of fit it in. Um, so a lot of the stuff happens, you know, late night writing. Um, come, that's where the best ideas really seem to come to life anyway. And, and then we just, we're very flexible. So ever we'll work rotors and antisocial hours. So there will be times where we just can't all come to rehearsals. So people will stand in and then if it needs to be, kind of all learn different roles until the night really. It all should come together in these next two weeks. <laughs> so are your fellow colleagues quite eager to perform or do you have to really sort of give them a bit of a nudge to get involved. I am quite known for going around the hospital and kind of making people <laughs> involved, <laughs> recruiting people. Um, but uh, no, everyone is really enthusiastic. We've got some people that have been involved from the very beginning and they're really passionate about it. Um, and I think that as it grows and people are seeing the show every year, there's more people want to be involved, yeah. The three now. And our studio guest today is Ivan Kelly. Now, I described you, Ivan, at the top of the show as an equine expert and you sort of poo-pooed that a little bit. How would you describe yourself? I'm a dressage trainer. A dressage trainer, okay. So first of all, for those of us out there who do not know, how would you describe dressage? 
it it is a difficult one to describe. I mean, p- people will be slightly more familiar with it because of the London Olympics, mm-hmm. um, where there was a couple of gold medals. But uh, it's basically just dancing with horses. I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. That sounds so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you you would class yourself as dancing as well? Oh, I'm then? a dancer. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's all about communication, though, isn't it? Because you, th- I mean, some of these moves that you're doing with the horse are so particular. Yeah. So you must have to have a fantastic relationship with the animal. Well, it's 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 a basic system that you then apply to a specific horse. So, and you have a system of signals, and then you build upon the signals. So, the signals never ever change. So, you can have a horse forever, but the signals you might do different stuff, but the signals aren't different. So, there's a a, a basic kind of set of guidelines for communication. And you've obviously been doing this for quite some time. So, is there a particular horse you've worked with over the years that you've just really sort of connected with? Then, well. Uh, um, I'm probably particularly proud of the horse that I own. I am a little bit biased. Um, his proper name is Don Rosario, but we call him Rex um, because he is just a giant Labrador. Um, and I've had him for six, nearly seven years. You say um, giant. This horse is enormous. I have met Rex and he is a, uh, an incredible animal. He's just beautiful. And you keep him very shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Although you're a dressage trainer... I presume you, you ride the horses an awful lot as well. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Does that, do they the two work hand in hand or are they completely different sort of things? Um, I think they have to overlap a little. When you when you teach, you want to have the the broadest picture you, c- you can get to be able to then teach the person. And sometimes that means maybe sitting on their horse to have a better idea of what they're actually feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can teach without sitting on board. I think it's better to do both. It gives you, it just gives you more ammunition to yell at them. <laughs> <laughs> but he's very lovely, really, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, talking about communication, I, I have to say, when I was a kid, I had a fabulous experience. I was really fortunate to be able to witness the work of Monty Roberts, who I'm sure you, you know of Monty, who's classed as the horse whisperer. And uh, there's a quote of his, um, which is, horses are our silent partners. When we learn their language, this partnership grows strong. Have you learned the language of horse, Ivan? <laughs> <laughs> It certainly taught me a lot, that's for sure. Um, This is, I think, the extraordinary thing about horses is they offer this gift to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever your your mindset, whatever your brain is, whatever way you feel you communicate, the horse is going to change that. So for me, it was about finding a quieter voice. And allowing myself to be a little bit softer, and you, you that you learn through again for me dressage because you have to ride the horse that you have in the moment, not the horse that you think you should have, and not the horse that you had. So you have to let go of all the frustrations of life. You have to let go of all the expectations, all the goals, all the ambitions, all the needs and wants, and you have to focus in on that very moment. What's happening, and and that's quite a, a an extraordinary thing when it happens. And they, because they, they also pick up on everything we're feeling, don't they? Yeah, they're amazing animals. And what do you think about this whole idea of horse whispering? Then, hmm, I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> no, I'm not. It, it's an extraordinary thing. Um, but I try in the industry to not label things like horse whispering because then it makes it sound like it's something magical or something that people can't have themselves. I think horses offer this gift to everybody that comes near them. And if we opened that idea up through a system of training, which is dressage, you can give that to every single person that comes near them. 
And I think that's the other thing. I, I totally agree with you because I think, you know, I've been around horses a bit in my life and you, you see this animal and it's an incredibly powerful animal and often quite large in comparison to us. And in, in essence, they could do anything they wanted mm-hmm. and yet they allow us to work with them and they allow us to ride them and they allow us to be near them um, most of the time without any sort of reaction, any sort of violent reaction or anything. It, it just amazes me. Why, do, why would they do that? Why do they do this? I, I, I mean, it's hard to say. Um, you know, if I was to tap into my hippie side, I would say that do I it. think <laughs> horses have... They've definitely come along on the human journey. They've decided to be part of it. I mean, if you look at how animals have, have evolved with mankind, horses have always been around. And each time we come to what looks like a finish, they find another way to manifest into our lives. So horses are definitely here for us, I think. And it, that's uh, been proven quite a lot recently because they've been used in equine therapy, haven't they? Which really does make a difference, I think, to a lot of people. Uh, it's uh, it's a definitely a growing type of therapy. It's been in the States for quite a long time and, and they're actually starting to use it in the UK now as well um, for lots of problems, but it's really common for behavioural problems with children and um, for anybody on the autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now you had, um, because you've had a fascinating life in, in horses and you, you did have an opportunity to uh, work with Dressage Island when you were quite young, but you turned it down to travel and you ended up in the States. Why was that and what were you doing out there? I fell in love. Oh. <laughs> I was a small Fairy town tale. Irish boy and I fell in love and I moved to New York. And you worked with some fantastic people out there, didn't you? I, I've, I had an extraordinary time while I was out there. I mean, it really was a superb environment to be in. Um, and I went from being a very big fish in a small pond to a, a tiny fish in a really big pond. But I loved it. I swam as, as strong as I could. But New, New York is a, a particularly fantastic state because I think you have the pool of everybody who has drive and ambition and a goal and a dream and they've all landed in New York and that energy is still there that that you know vibration is still there so people want to help and they want to do and it was great to be part of that and your interesting life appears to have been or is going to be written into a book tell us about <laughs> yes. that well it had been suggested a few times um but then I I met up with a guy who said that he'd always wanted to write a biography. Um, and he asked, uh, there might have been one or two glasses of wine, he asked, <laughs> could he write my story? And I said, let's do it. Um, so we had more glasses of wine. We, he wrote the kind of the synopsis or the, the back cover, and we sent that back and forward a few times. And then he sent me a message and he said, could we get sued for anything that could be written in this book? <gasps> um, so we're going to leave it for a couple of years. <laughs> that makes it sound like there's some pretty tasty stories in there, Ivan. I mean, horse people are extraordinary folk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are a little crazy, so there's lots of can stories. You, can you just tell us one? No, I couldn't possibly. Oh, so disappointed. So can anybody get involved in dressage then? Yes. It, it, sometimes it's, it's built into a little bit of a mystery, but dressage is basically, it's the oldest equestrian discipline. It's four and a half thousand years old. It, you know, they know what they're doing. They've come up with a, with a recipe that works. It's just body mechanics for horses. It's just systematic training that's really simple to apply. He makes it sound so easy, doesn't he? So if anyone wanted to find out more then about what you do and maybe have a go at dressage, what's the best way of them finding out? There's lots of groups and organisations on the island, um, but I would steer you to my website. <laughs> but you'll find me on Facebook or Blogger or Instagram, any of, any of those two. 
I've been working in the investments industry for, for nearly 20 years and getting increasingly frustrated with the, the waffle and the jargon that, that goes on and frankly the boring content that, that we put out. So I'm a big believer in the power of investing, but I also have loads of friends and people I talk to who think it's not for them, they don't understand it, they're turned off by it. So really what I'm trying to do with Boring Money is to, to get through to people who have felt disengaged before and to try and talk to them about it in, well, in normal language. Money. Because there is that perception, isn't there, that this is a man's world. It is, you know, people shouting each other across this room and it is a very, very <laughs> testosterone fueled environment. It still is a boys club. It's not uncommon for me to go to meetings in the city and you walk into a room and there's uh, 15 guys sitting around a table and, and, and me. So I think, you know, this does matter because... We tend to write content for people who look like us as an empathy thing. So I think a lot of the content that the industry churns out is aimed at 50-year-old or 60-year-olds or affluent uh, golf-playing Range Rover driving men. And there's a big chunk of the community that, that we're just neglecting and, and not talking to. So we can see from the stats that women are putting their fingers in the ear, their ears and, and not saving in the stock market. And, and I think we've got to do something about this because we're storing up uh, problems for ourselves down the track when, when women my age, I mean, I'm, I'm currently 44, so my peer group are going to retire. And if we've been sitting in cash with uh, interest rates as they are today, we're not going to be very well off. So one of your aims, as you mentioned then, is to speak to women without any of the jargon, just talk in plain language. Talk to us in that plain language now then, Holly. Tell us why we should be interested in investing. Interest rates today are really low. So what are your options? I think the options we have are the stock market. Now, loads of women say to me, I can't, it's not for me, Holly, um, I'm not rich enough. Well, you can get going with just £25 a month. So if you can set up a direct debit for 25 quid a month, you can be an investor. Another thing people say to me is, oh, I'm risk averse. Uh, it's like gambling, isn't it? I can't, Beth, look at anyone in the eye and say, I can guarantee what you're going to get in the stock market. But I do know that over a longer term time frame, the odds are heavily stacked in favour of the stock market. So if we're talking about a 10-year time frame, you're 90% more likely to do better in the stock market than you are in cash. I think the third thing I'd, I'd say to women is there's this assumption that we somehow need to have sort of PhDs in maths to be an investor and to get going. We have today things which I call the investment equivalent of ready meals. You can go online, answer six or seven simple questions about yourself, and someone will give you a sort of, here's a portfolio we made earlier. So I'd just like to sort of challenge some of the preconceptions that women have and to say, actually, maybe you can get going with less than you thought, and maybe you can get going without needing to be an expert just want to take you back to that risk element Holly because I think some of the women that you're aiming at are going to be bringing up families I mean they may be working as well but the idea that they're not spending money on their children at a time when they need it is something that that sort of goes against a lot of women I would say. I think that's right and 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 I you know I identify with that I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old but 
I do talk to a lot of women who are neglecting their own needs and, and putting their kids first and women with older kids too, very worried about how they can help them get on the property ladder. But we do have to factor in the fact that, you know, we're living longer, we're saving less than guys, the average woman earns less than a guy, and we know that the average woman's retirement income is likely to be about £5,000 a year lower than men. So I think I would say to women think about chipping away even if it's starting with small amounts and putting a pot of money aside for yourself you see beth i think we're all a lot more commercial than we realize we watch programs about the stock market we watch things like dragon's den we we understand small business concepts and our kids do too so i think it's just trying to sort of be very upfront with them have those conversations from an early stage and try and demystify finance i mean at the end of the day all you're doing with the stock market is saying, do I think that company's going to do well, yes or no? And we're actually a lot more street smart than many of us realise. Did you watch Wolf of Wall Street? I did. Now, it's not quite that bad in the city, but I have to say it's still a bit of a boys' club and it's still quite blokey. And actually, the Wolf of Wall Street, I have to say, I mean, I, I laughed a bit along the way, but, but Beth, it made me angry because there are still too many fat cats doing this for their, their own good and I think you know they are a rarity but they give all of us a bad name so I watched it I I kind of laughed but it made me feel a bit sick as well. Well Holly really really interesting to talk to you this morning and it actually has made me think maybe I could do it because you You know. You could Beth I think this is what women you know women are better investors than men because we resist the urge to fiddle men are you know trying to tinker with it the whole time that's the worst thing you can do so Beth you know you may well be a natural born investor Uh, before we move on we do of course have to mention the news that today the UK has voted to leave the EU now I was extremely shocked by this I went to bed last night and uh, it seemed after the first votes were in that we were safe we were going to be remaining I say safe because I just it just seemed to me like that was you know the obvious choice and then I woke up and there's stuff everywhere saying no we're leaving Joe, how did it make you feel? Well, when I woke up this morning, I had my son running into the room going, Mum, Mum, you will not believe this. And he told me, and I was really shocked, I have to say, because I thought we would be remaining. Um, But by now, at two o'clock in the afternoon, all I can say is... I'm just over it. I am so over it. And I know it's important. I do understand, especially James Corden's tweet to me was brilliant. The, he, he tweeted worried. you, did he? he? Yeah. <laughs> Personally. Um, yeah, his tweet that he put out saying that, you know, there is a worry for the future of our kids. I do understand that. And, you know, there is a lot of seriousness around this. There are obviously implications for the Isle of Man. But in all honesty, what is going on with social media? Well, suddenly, we've stopped talking about what we're having for dinner. And now we've all become politicians it is absolutely crazy this st- i've had to turn it off it's crazy what's going on but there. It, jenny isn't it better that we do talk about these things on social media rather than what we're having for dinner um i think there is an element of you know that we should talk about it. it's important but at the same time it, it's been overdone now i totally agree with joe i've seen so many states it's every, you know you're scrolling down the news feed and there's I don't know how many people have in their opinion on it and i must say that most people were wanting to stay the ones that i've seen and uh yeah, it was it was a shock for me as well this morning. I honestly thought that we were staying. 
All I can say is, have you learned more by reading on social media? <laughs> have you actually understood more about it? No, I, I wouldn't say so, no. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? It's extremely complicated, and that's why I think it's kind of odd that we... Well, not we, because we weren't part of it, but the, the nation, in a way, was left to make such a crucial decision. I think you're right. I think you're right. Inviting the nation, you know, and Beth actually put something brilliant on Facebook she herself. Did, yeah. She asked the question, you know, if you don't want to know the answer, don't ask the question. And it's a really, really valid point. Which is what Cameron will be thinking now. That, that I think, who? is the most... <laughs> who? who? Cameron. Who? <laughs> That's the worrying thing, isn't it? Who's going to replace Cameron? Oh, dear me. Interestingly, I did... I thought the statistics were fascinating because uh, if you look at the stats for those that voted to remain, 75% of 18 to 24-year-olds wanted to remain. 56%, so still the majority, of 25 to 49 wanted to remain. But when you start getting into the over 50s, you get down to 39 and 40% that voted to remain. So I think that's what we're sort of looking at is it's the older generation who sort of swung it, which means that it's sort of leaving us to deal with it. The young, I'm, I'm classing myself as the younger generation now. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that anymore. But Baby I am boomers. Doing, I am, yeah. And obviously it doesn't, we're not part of the EU, but it will obviously still affect us uh, with regards to trade, freedom of move, movement, business, the strength of the pound, obviously, which has already dropped today. So our guest today is Jane Hall from the Manx Art Directory. Thank you for coming back and joining us again, Jane. It's lovely to have you. Delighted to be here. Uh, and what do you make of all this then? You know, the way I look at it, and I probably class myself with, you know, the older generation, is that, you know, the older generation, I think, are probably looking out for the younger generation. You know, they've got more life experience and, you know, I'm hopeful that we've done the right thing by exiting. You know, you, do, you can't know, can you? But the... I was thinking before, it's a bit like the European Union being your boss or an employer mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the UK being uh, the employee. Now, do you want to stay and be an employee? OK, you get paid every month and you've got a little package of benefits, which is all very nice and that kind of thing. Or do you want to take a risk? You know, do you want to go self-employed? You know, some people might crash and burn self-employed, but others fly, you know, and, you know, you might find wings. And I think that the British people are resilient and strong and creative. And, you know, I think you've got to look on the bright side and hope that it's the best decision. I came over to Isle of Man about 11 years ago and did martial arts for over 15. So a couple of years back, I thought I'll start my own company and, yeah, started teaching, so doing bit of boxing, some jujitsu, lots of self-preservation, I guess, and it's all for personal development mainly. So it's a little bit different than a, just a typical martial art class. And it also it's worldwide, Crazy Monkey Defense Program is a worldwide program, so it's an excellent thing to, thing to do, just join and be a part of a worldwide community. And people may also recognise you from not just your classes, but also from being out on a night out, is that right? <laughs> not really, I do work on the doors though. Not as much these days, but I used to do it most of the weekends. She's so lovely and just so smiley and, and really sort of petite. And you wouldn't think that you'd be able to, you know, kind of stand there on the doors and rah and try and stop people from being naughty or whatever. Have you ever had to actually get into any altercations with anyone? I did uh, quite a bit, actually. It goes two ways. They either don't want to because you're a girl or they start on you because you're a girl. <gasps> so, but then- I think I like it because and because I'm small. I think it shows that with a good technique and, you know, good background and everything like that, you can really do anything you want. For anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, when we're talking about crazy monkeys, because there's literally isn't you going to a zoo and acting like a crazy monkey. What is it? What is it that you're doing? Uh, Crazy Monkey is a really new martial arts program. It originated in South Africa. 
there are a little bit of differences in like a technical stuff and it's all based in first being able to be safe and defend yourself and then the kind of a violence and attack but it's mainly like a big difference is in a approach so it is boxing based and it is a proper martial arts program but the way we approach it is really playful it's very mindful and although it's functional you don't you know we don't beat each other up every single class but we progress the client to get to that level basically where he, they can take strong punches and handle themselves mentally and physically as well. So why did you want to get involved with this? <laughs> as a kid I always loved those films where you had the warrior and then like they went through all that hardship and in the end they came out and you always got at the end that person who is really calm, who doesn't really fight unless it's really important but he's just well rounded like whether it's mentally he's really educated you know it's got every aspect of the life and I always loved that so I gone into gone into like martial arts and then uh, but I couldn't really find it because it's all about technical stuff it's all about competition and it's it used to be very much a meathead man kind of environment and it wasn't until about 10 years back where one of my friends started crazy monkey over here and as soon as we started it's it's brought everything back into that old-fashioned kind of uh, warriorship in which, you know, you've got to progress as a whole person, not just technically, but mentally. You've got to constantly learn. Even us as trainers, we constantly, you know, if, if I stop, I can't teach because I'll be kicked out of the programme, so I still got to progress. Do you think there's a lot of women on the Isle of Man who have an inner warrior then? Have you met lots of women with inner warriors? I think everybody got in. You just got to, and I'm not saying, you know, it doesn't have to be with martial arts, but everybody has it and it's just finding the right way of bringing it out. And I love martial arts, I always did. So whether it's like a mental game aspect, whether it's a bit of like a psychology or building up confidence or just fitness, uh, I love martial arts. So this is why I did three martial arts. It's more, martial arts are more of a vehicle to everything else you've mentioned that you're you know you're one of the only women who is involved in this on the island and other aspects of martial arts but do you think it's important that you know especially young women are equipped with these skills to be able to defend themselves in the wider world uh yes absolutely i think well in reality most of the people not gonna get attacked but for women at least i found it on myself it's that confidence and if it happens, I can stand my chance. And nothing's 100%, but I'll put up a fight. And I think that's really important because that gives you the confidence, that gives the respect for yourself as well as a woman. So you don't, you not, uh, you know, you don't walk down the street as a victim anymore because you know you can do it. But again, it's, you know, defending yourself, it's about more self-preservation. It's not just the technical stuff. It's about, it starts with, if I see a guy walking towards me, I don't like because I got a bad feeling about him. It's about me walking through to the other side of the road and not having to pass him. So I'm trying to teach all all of these aspects. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, so another bit of news here. Former Miss Great Britain Zara Holland has had her crown taken from her after having sex on television. Did you say that? 
I did. <laughs> the 20-year-old from Hull left ITV2's Love Island shortly after being filmed getting intimate with fellow contestant Alex oh, Bowen. <laughs> what is with that voice when you say those words? I'm a bit uncomfortable <laughs> saying it live on air. So you wouldn't, host, you wouldn't be a presenter on Love Island then, would you? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> she did say, I regret it. I shouldn't have done it on national TV. I feel like I've let my mum down and my family down. Gosh, I hope her mum wasn't watching. <laughs> it's just wrong. But the interesting thing about this is that her crown was taken from it. It was given to the pageant's runner-up. Uh, the organisers of Miss Great Britain said, we have no problem at all with sex. However, we simply cannot condone a reigning title holder doing so on television. Now, I'm just... I found this fascinating, actually, because the fact that they've taken her crown from her... Um, it's that thing, isn't it? They're, they're kind of saying by taking her crown from her, you are not the kind of person we want to be representing young young women as Miss Great Britain. Does Miss Great Britain really represent young women nowadays? <laughs> Such a good point. Such a good point. And also, it's all about beauty. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, beauty enhances other things too, doesn't it? You know, and when it comes to that, you just think, okay, is it her fault or actually the TV production team's fault? Because they shouldn't aired it. They shouldn't yeah. have aired it. It's unfortunate for her that they've decided to air this because they put these people on an island together in the hope that that might happen you know so therefore oh it's is it her fault is it the production team companies uh, you know the 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 tv programs problem oh i yeah. just can't get my words out on it you know, know. whose just... whose fault is it should she have been more aware of the title and therefore well, yeah, not she, she chose to go on it in the first place didn't so she, she knew maybe what was going to happen yeah what do you make at this jane hall <laughs> yeah so rather embarrassing isn't it um in the old days, it always used to be that, you know, if you're a beauty queen or whatever, you were supposed to act in a certain way and be. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously what they're upholding here or trying to uphold. Um, as for representing people today, I wasn't even aware that be these beauty pageants really still went on in the UK. Yeah. I mean, it used to be a big thing back in the 70s, Miss World and all that kind Over of thing. Over here. Yeah, Miss Isle of Man. Yeah, oh, there was Miss Isle of Man, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I was involved with it for a short time. Was <laughs> Terry Kringle was, wasn't he? Uh, really? Jenny. <laughs> Does yeah. he look nice enough, Rock? <laughs> I think we'll just leave that one there. Jenny, what do you make well, of this story? All that I was going to say was that I feel quite sorry for the, the runner-up, really, because, you know, it's like, here you go, here's your crown now that, the, the you know, the main girl had a bit of a slip-up. <laughs> a slip-up. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's the whole thing, isn't it? To be fair, like you're saying, Jane, you know, they're supposed to be standards, aren't they? They're supposed to be representing something, I don't know, traditional, I would have thought, if they're still have doing these pageants. But these women? I know that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. You know, she is the absolute epitome of a, a sort of cover model, really, isn't she? And all the fake stuff that happens yeah. to make it happen. It didn't happen in the old days, did it? You know, so... Mm. Is is she at fault? Yeah, well, they should have stopped it going on the programme in the first place if they had a problem with it. I mean, the fact they said, yeah, go ahead, go on Love Island. Well, what was going to happen? Did really? she ask the permission of them to go on Who it? knows? Hmm. Who knows? People have discovered that actually it's a great way to earn a little bit of extra cash. They've got a spare bedroom um, or perhaps a little cottage in their garden or a little, something in the garden. It's a way to earn some extra money um, and who's not going to want to do that? In terms of from a guest perspective, um, I think it's a fantastic way to actually just really immerse yourself into a local culture and local society. Um, you're getting everything from the people who are there. You can get advice, um, information. Where's the best bakers? You know, is the pub around the corner great? or should I go across the road um, and I think it's a great way of actually really making yourself part of that area and that society So do you have a duty as one of the hosts then to sort of give that sort of travel information then? 
i don't think you've got a duty to do that, but i think all the best ones do. um i would always ask somebody if they were going to think about reserving an airbnb-style accommodation read the reviews, read what other people have said about the place and where they've stayed um and the best ones will give you plenty of information about what there is to do in the local area, what what you can see and do, where to eat um and those are the best ones to go to. And obviously you're from um, Admiral Insurance, Justin, so I'm intrigued to know, would that affect your insurance in any way to have sort of random strangers coming in and staying? And for most insurance companies, it does. I mean, a lot of insurers will have an exclusion where they won't cover you. So if you do have a guest and they do cause damage, they you know, pour a bottle of wine on your sofa, there's a good chance you won't be, won't be covered. So we have launched something called host insurance, which is an add-on to your home insurance to make sure you are covered through these. But most of the home sharing sites, they also have a guarantee in place. Um, the, the difficulty is that there's, some of them require you to, to negotiate with the guest first. So if they cause some damage, you'll need to approach them first. You may have to prove that the, the guest caused the damage. So you couldn't just you know, say, oh, this wasn't hanging off the wall before and, and, and suddenly it is. You need to prove that it was them. And quite often you'll have to pay for it up front and then try and claim from the, 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 the sharing site um, yourself. So it's not always that straightforward. So um, I think it's just making sure, you know, speak to your insurance company they may cover you but as i said a lot of companies won't they will have an exclusion and lisa was saying there about how it's a good idea to check the reviews if you're going to stay at someone else's place but presumably with certainly with regards to this insurance side of things it's it must be a good idea to sort of vet the people that are coming as well can you do that i guess it's a bit trickier because you know you can't there's not a site that lists the, the guests but certainly speak to them before you know and um and, and find out a little bit about them maybe speak to them on the phone certainly email them and get a bit more information from them who they are what they like to do and it's just courtesy really you're getting to know somebody a little bit you know who's going to be staying in your house after all you know so, so why not make the effort to get to them a little bit better you must have come across some pretty special Airbnbs so far. Well, that's right, and that's the that's the great thing about it. You know, we're not talking about you know going and staying in a very budget, boring hotel with the same white bed that you'd see anywhere else. And there are some amazing ones out there. There's castles, there's tree houses, um, all sorts of really different, unusual places to go and stay. Um, and that's what being on holiday is all about, isn't it? It's about you know really sort of stretching yourself and going and experiencing and seeing something different from your everyday life. And it's interesting because actually yesterday we were talking to some guys from a, a new company called Roomy who are doing something very similar, but with regards to um, letting out people's homes for people to go and work in them. So mm. using them as sort of office spaces. And then, of course, you've got the likes of Uber as well. And I wonder, is this the way we're going now that sort of the people are sort of taking over these, these small businesses and just using what we've got to make ourselves a little bit of money? I think it is. It's called the sharing economy and it's becoming a lot more popular. So it's whether it's, you know, you use your car and, and let somebody share the car with you or your home or your you know, your, your space in your home for an office. It, it's the way that the, the, the world is going. And certainly in the age of social media where people are using the Internet in new ways, I think it's only going to become more popular and more commonplace. And before you go, I have to ask you, there was a lovely fun bit attached to this research uh, asking who would be the UK's ultimate guests and who would be the worst. So what came mm. who came out on top? Um, I think really surprisingly, number one was was Kate and William, which I, I don't know whether they'd be that interested in going to stay in the average person's house. I think they've got, they've got plenty of other, other options. Um, <laughs> second most popular was David Attenborough, who would be a fantastic guest to have and would be, you know, great company, I think. Um, least popular, very topical, was Donald Trump. Um, again, I'm not sure whether he'd be interested in staying in most people's <laughs> houses. Um, and he was followed by Katie Hopkins, who I'm sure would be a very controversial guest to have. Thank you for listening to our best bits of the week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MRWomenToday. Today.
Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click Shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.